0: So as I said at the beginning, well, I didn't say it this way, but this is the iceberg approach. We did not want to be exhaustive in any one of these groups today, but rather highlight 10% perhaps of what's happening, so the other 90% you didn't hear about today. We did allow some time on the agenda now to move out of the four community-specific discussion that we just had and think a little more broadly for the next five, 10 or 15 minutes about what you've heard today. Are there some connections that have not been mentioned? Are there some thoughts that you have about how we might make those connections? Are there opportunities to be explored that maybe have not come up today? And uh, there's no pressure on you to fill this time because we will break early for lunch if you don't fill this time, but this is a time for anybody to grab the red box and uh, ask a question. I might point out as you're thinking about that that this is not necessarily the time to ask the Chancellor any particular question you have because we have a time that's just his at the end of the day where he... We have an hour and a half for him to make comments and then for general question and answer. So this is really around the communities we have and specifically the four communities that we've talked about here this morning. You're not going to throw her the red box?
1: So. Um, to Ronnie's point before, and some of us were around at that first when we did that first set of hires, I think we are at a pretty cool time. We were talking about now that first set of hires is getting tenured and moving on to a next phase of, of their lives and a next phase of the lives for our institution and the work that we do. Because that pre-tenure work is, is one piece and good and fabulous and I think we can all be very, very proud of that. But as I was looking at some of the people that we brought on during that time and now we're at a whole different place. We are ready kind of at one of those inflection points to really hit the trajectory upward because we've now got these experienced faculty members who got their first NSF grants and NIH grants and all that thing and now we're, we're gonna go straight up. So that is pretty cool. And for those of us who were there at that first part, I just thought, wow, is that gonna ever happen? And we are there. That's, I think that's kind of fun.
2: Yeah, I would... I would follow up with that. One of the things that I think that uh, that has to be emphasized, and especially for my uh, colleagues who are new department heads and chairs and some of the early career faculty, mid-career faculty that are here, there was a spirit of collaboration that started back in Nebraska City, moved up to North Platte, and laid the foundation for what we're doing now. And uh, Being in the academy now for some 35 years, uh, it was remarkable to see what was going on there. And Ronnie can attest to this. We had, you know, we'd all get together and say, Ronnie, we've got 80 positions. He said, I've got money for 30. And we would sit down and we would tailor this in such a way that we brought it down to 40 and he said, well, maybe I can find five. We brought it down to 35. But the important thing is, and I want everybody to realize this, this was a lot of give and take, but it was organic. It came from discussions that we had with our faculty. And out of those discussions came these concepts and these, these focal areas, including healthy humans, stress biology, large data, and what you hear, hear later on, integrated in this is all scientific literacy. And, and, and I'll tell you, uh, we're, on, we're on the right trajectory here. Uh, this is something that I think is really remarkable, and I think if we just, you know, stay the course, there's a lot of bumps, you know, funding's tight, there's a lot of bumps, but we just have to keep going, and, and we're going to, you know, really be out there at the, at the forefront of where we want to be.
3: So, I I appreciate in particular the data science um, um, community Um, in in agronomy and horticulture we're looking at um, integration of science communication, data communication, uh, understanding data. And I think what one thing that I see is missing is the curriculum integration. Uh, How do we integrate? you know we talked about science literacy and the efforts that goes on formally and informally Uh, we have the seal 101 course but I think we need to um, think about how do individual units or degree programs how can they take advantage of the communities in terms of curriculum so instead of developing courses in-house because that's what we need for our students we need to connect with groups to ensure we have you know, the expertise and the collaboration, the team formation that we need to integrate those curriculum or pertinent courses into our uh, degree program. So that's one of the comments I would make here.
4: I'll add to that, Um, there is an interesting factor for people who are coming to the university recently is when you try to look at uh, the course list and what's available interdepartmental, I do multidisciplinary research, I cannot resist, and um, try to find courses in different places or you want to be sure you're not overlapping. I am in awe how the students do it because the curriculum system is really not clear enough for someone making decisions. You get keywords of departments and keywords of courses, but it's pretty much impossible to figure out when, when you want to jump from one department to the other one, what exactly does this mean? And I think that it's not creating new courses, it's not creating something revolutionary, it's just improving a system that we have that right now is not either helping the students or the faculty.
5: Um,
6: i just like to address Martha's question a little bit. Um, in the fall of 2017 when we had a series of meetings of the Computational Sciences Working Group, um, the idea of some kind of um, either PAN, IANR, or um, uh, course on quantitative stuff um, came up um, and there was a debate that uh, went on um, that was never really concluded whether a single course Pan-INR would be a good idea or whether um, more targeted courses should be developed in particular by the stat department. Uh, that That's still something that's up for grabs and um, in the coming months when we have our Uh, next meetings um, I'm sure it will come up again. And if you have any thoughts, I hope you'll attend.
7: There are a couple questions that have come in through our online portal. Um, This question is great discussion of tenured positions. What about non-tenured positions? Do they contribute? Could we do more with non-tenured track or non- do more non-tenured or more non-tenured track scientists? And the second question this person has is, can we develop food safety evaluation systems?
5: You know, I um, thanks for the questions. First to folks who are uh, watching and participating online. Uh, we made a point of uh, saying 541 total faculty. And uh, I just can't underscore the notion of total faculty. And uh, we do, uh, we do uh, faculty, I think, better than a lot of places when it comes to appreciating the different tracks of faculty. Our tenure track lines, uh, to be a tenured tenure track faculty member at our R1 institution, it's, uh, the game's changed in my 31 years in the academy. It's hard, um, it's complicated. Uh, The funding, the stress levels, the expectations, uh, it's really complicated. Our professors of practice model that we have embraced in the institute, uh, it really is a healthy partnership between what I have seen as a fresh set of eyes. The partnership between professors of practice and our tenure track colleagues are really incredible. And the wholesomeness that takes place when it comes to thinking about the integrated curriculum and uh, what our students uh, need and what the industries that we serve need is really special. Our extension educators, 182 strong across the state of Nebraska in seven focus areas, thrust areas. Uh, the 18 issues teams that were created five years ago in direct res- as a direct result of input from the citizenry of the state and how we mobilize in those places. Um, amazing partnership with our non-tenure track extension educators. We have a smaller number of research faculty uh, that are in that mix. We, too, include postdocs in that mix, which I think we have a lot of good work to do. It's a smaller number. And then there are a few extension faculty that aren't extension educators that are non tenure track. So I would say um, to that question we are absolutely thinking about the total faculty and what each of us brings to driving the impacts. And the outcomes that we just saw the tip, as Ron said, of the icebergs this morning. So, uh, yeah, it's important. And uh, I think um, Tiffany Heng Moss and Chuck Hibbard, for example, are interested in stretching models. So, this idea you have to be, if you're a classroom teacher, a professor of practice, you have to have 51% classroom teaching to use that title. I think we're interested in looking at 51% professor of practice and 49% extension educator. Why we don't think about our extension educators who are forward deployed, many whom are amazing teachers, I don't care who the audience is, why have we relegated them to engage public only and never shall they cross the boundary with our graduate students and our undergraduates, especially in micro-credentialing and badging and this gives us a chance to do a better job partnering with the six community colleges, NCTA, and the three state colleges. So we are pushing the bounds. Um, whoever asked the question, know that all faculty here are valued. And um, one of the things the senior leadership team is doing, we have paid a lot of attention. And, and there's not a tenure track faculty member that's hired in the institute that is not uh, come up from our department leaders, our center directors, these communities that isn't discussed by all of the deans, all of the vice chancellors, and that's how we make decisions. We are now moving in that direction with our extension educators, our professors of practice, so that we have wholesome discussions around the needs uh, to really fulfill our tripartite mission.
8: There was was that question about uh, food safety evaluation system, or... or I'd like to take a stab at that and say, could we develop that? Oh, heck yes, we could develop it. Given enough time, resources, and and money, you definitely could come up with some kind of an evaluation system. Uh, One would have to... Uh, as you would look at that, you have to some agreement on what that end goal of that system would be. Is it a number, is it a score, is, and how that would relate to a particular commodity or product that you might find on the shelf. And then in part, you have to have that as a flexible system. And that system or that score that you would arrive at, it has to be, Uh, something that you could update on a real-time basis. So if you went to the grocery store today, it might have one score. If you went tomorrow, it would have a different score. Uh, So you have to have some kind of a system that's going to update that, which means you're gonna have to have real-time data that you're putting into some kind of a scoring system. And so that's... You know that that becomes a very intricate or interesting data management. Uh, you know, as far as way that's displayed, uh, what you display at your local high V store may be different. You know, how do you do that at a farmer's market? Uh, you could easily do it on some kind of a processed or packaged food ingredient or or or, or meal, but how would you do that on a you know? three potatoes that you pick up at the farmer's market, you know, that becomes. So one, there would have to be a lot of agreement across the system. Who are the different people that would have to agree on this score? Uh, You'd have to be able to have this system flexible enough. We heard earlier uh, this morning about uh, the nanoparticles. Uh, You know, maybe two years ago there wasn't necessarily as much information there is on, on those manna, nanoparticles. So that may change upon uh, what new discoveries there may be related to uh, type of health or you know lifestyle diseases or what lifestyles contribute to that. So th- the system would have to be very robust. And um, is it doable? Is it a goal to shoot for? Yeah. But then the practical questions come up. Who makes the decisions on, on the scoring system? How is the data transferred? What is the mechanism for transferring it? These, these are the questions and, you know, quickly you might get individuals that'll throw up their hands and say, nah, it's not worth doing.
9: I just want to throw a general comment from what we've heard today and our individual interactions with the faculty. It's obvious to us that faculty are doing incredible research, generating tremendous data. So to me, as we move forward to the next step, where are the bottleneck and if we move to the 21st century in, in agriculture, natural resources in a digitized world, Where are the bottlenecks? And to me, if we are to address the gems that has been put genotype by environment management, socioeconomic factor, we need the tools to be able to integrate this. And at this point, we are individually or teamwork are able to do very limited work when we're addressing maybe G by E, maybe G by M, but we can't do the four together. So the missing, the bottleneck to me is data integration, data management, and predictive models that can be created. And to do this, we need a really strong cyber infrastructure in computational um, Analysis, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's neural network, otherwise we really fall behind. It's it's really interesting that Google artificial intelligence can detect breast cancer better than the doctors themselves. So where are we at within this uh, new world, and how can we move? So if if you tell me where would you put your money tomorrow, I will say in a cyber cyber informatic center for data management and analysis in the area of agriculture and human health. That's why I would do.
1: I just want to add that one common theme that I recognize going across all the discussions so far was the power of teams. And we've talked a lot about how amazing our faculty are. But this work would not have been possible without amazing staff, without amazing students that cut across our undergrad graduate programs, as well as our professional students that are part of what we do here in IENR. And then we have a number of partners um, that have been able to really help us to enhance what we do
7: in our community work. There was another online question to the Healthy Human community. And um, the question is, is, how are we measuring food insecurity? So we have faculty um, in Nutrition Health Sciences and Ag, Ag Economics, Dr. Gustafson right here, who are um, looking at those metrics as well as as measuring those within the state and working with our partner agencies. But Chris, I'll let you give more details if you
5: want to. <laughs> so, um,
4: my experience with measuring food insecurity is really more at the international level. And, and um, as Jean mentioned, I've worked with Lisa and Castle, but I personally haven't been involved in taking those. Oh, sorry. I can answer the domestic. OK, great. <laughs> Maybe I'll let you do that then, <laughs> since the question was at least as I interpret it about domestic. Uh,
7: domestic food insecurity is measured uh, by an instrument that was developed back in the 1990s as part of a consensus group, and it's currently in the current population survey. Um, for older people, it's um, six questions. For families with children, it has another about 10 to 12 questions, and they're um, ordered in severity. So, for example, the first six questions start with, the first question is something like, "I." worried or my household worried about having enough food uh, because of economic issues it's all centered around economic not so much access Um, the sixth question um, actually um, well the questions go through skipping meals Um, my family skipped meals I ate smaller portions I didn't eat for a day because we didn't have enough food in our house because of economic reasons the sixth question is actually about experiencing hunger and so that's a standard measure that's used across our nation. It differs, differs quite a bit what you might use in an um, international setting where you know you have food insecurity to the point of malnourishment,
0: so. Thank you, Marianne. Well, we've uh, reached the end of our time this morning. I want to follow on the comment about teams, the comments that have been made. Absolutely, it, is, it requires everybody on the team to make the kind of advances that we've seen today. If you noticed on many of the slides, the teams and the collaborators, they were not just tenure track faculty members, they were faculty members and staff all across the university and at other campuses as well. I know I learned two things today. I learned from Burt Clark that it's okay to refer to things in computational sciences as quantitative stuff. <laughs> and I learned from Dustin Yates that sheep are cheap. <laughs> so hopefully uh, you learned something and that you will come back at 1230 when we reconvene to talk about drivers of economic vitality in Nebraska.
4: So enjoy your lunch. Thank you.